0: One goal in writing was to give you certainty in a world of doubt. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. We'll look at verses 21 through 38. This is our Certainty in a World of Doubt series, resolved 2017. Let me start by uh, showing with you a story that I found uh, a number of years ago quite interesting, but at the same time very tragic It was uh, an Eastern Airlines jumbo jet on the now-famous flight 401 bound for Miami from New York City with a heavy load of holiday passengers. And as the huge aircraft approached the Miami airport uh, for its landing, a light that indicates proper deployment of the landing gear failed to come on. The plane flew in a large looping circle over the swamps of the Everglades while the cockpit crew checked out the light failure. Their question was this. Had the landing gear actually not deployed or was it just the light bulb that was defective? And to begin with, the flight engineer fiddled with the bulb. He tried to remove it, but it wouldn't budge. Another member of the crew began, uh, became curious and tried to help him out. And then another, and if... If you can believe it, all eyes were on the little light bulb that refused to be dislodged from its socket. And no one noticed that the plane was losing altitude. Finally, it flew right into the swamp. Many were killed in that plane crash while an experienced crew of high-priced and seasoned pilots messed around with a 75-cent light bulb. An entire airplane plane, and many of its passengers were lost. The crew momentarily forgot the most basic of all rules in the air. Don't forget to fly the airplane. Take a look at your sermon notes there, part of your intro. True story. You can, you can do the research on that. How many are familiar with the story or heard the story? Yeah. And so uh, take a look at your notes, part of the, the intro. A distracted life. A distracted life will eventually prove to be detrimental spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. Would you agree with me that there are a lot of things that would distract us in in our lives? Oh my goodness, more and more. More and more things to distract us from the things that are really important in our lives. The key to an effective life is focus. Ephesians 4, 15 through 17, it, uh, it says, be very careful then, so he's warning us, be very careful then in how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, because there's a lot of distractions all around us. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Know what God's will is. Stay focused on His will, on His purpose, on why you exist, why you're here. And, and, and so how do you do that? By asking the right questions. And if you can answer these five questions we're going to look at here today, you'll know what to cut out of your life, what to add to your life. Your stress level will go down and your satisfaction will go up. And you'll live a more significant, successful, and a more focused a more focused life. That's what we're going to focus on today. Uh, this weekend here, resolved 2017. So let me bring you up to speed here, where we've been in our study thus far, through the Gospel according to Luke, chapter one are really the eyewitness accounts of the events leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ. The first 20 verses of chapter two detail the birth of Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Uh, oftentimes people will ask the question, so how do we know there is a God? How about this one? He showed up here, okay, through Jesus. That's a good one. But other than the the other ones, uh, we know that there's a God because he's revealed himself to us through creation, conscience, through commandments, his word, but ultimately through Jesus Christ. That's what this book is all about. And he's giving validation to that that reality. And uh, so that's the first 20 verses of the chapter detail the birth of Jesus Christ. And then verses 21 through 38 is what we're looking at here. of of Luke chapter two, verses 21 through 38, gives us essential testimony to the identity of Jesus Christ so that we can have certainty in a world of doubt. And we're gonna be looking at the lives of Joseph and Mary and Simeon and Anna, and they, they all give testimony to the identity of Christ with their lips and their lives and so should we. I think they're a really a great model for us. So we should give testimony with our, our lips and our lives of who Jesus is. We can believe their witness because of the credibility of their lives. So, so what Luke is doing here through his research, he's saying, hey, not only are they validating that this is truly God in the flesh, that is Jesus, this baby born in Bethlehem is God in the flesh, but look at their lives You can believe them because of the credibility of their lives. You're going to see this as we read through the text. And so we can believe their witness because of the credibility of their lives, and people will believe our witness because of the credibility of our lives, and a more focused life will help us to do exactly that. So let me ask you this question before we pray, and we uh, read through the text and unpack these notes. Is it uh, biblical to actually make resolutions? Do you guys think it's biblical? It kind of stumped the, the crowd last night. But do you think it's biblical to make resolutions? Some people would say no. Some would say, uh, it all depends. And actually, write these verses down on your notes because this is, would say that it is, based on the kind of resolution it is, it's 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. That's what I'm gonna pray. Now listen to what uh, Paul says here. He says, to this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling And may fulfill every resolve, he uses that word there, resolve, for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in us or in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the word resolved here, resolved is a firm determination to do something, and it's okay to have a firm determination to do something in the new year or maybe throughout the year or every year if it's a work of faith by God's power for God's glory, based on what those verses say. So, does that make sense? And so, really, the, the resolutions here that we're looking at, these questions, are really uh, a work of faith by God's power for God's glory. And that's what we're going to pray for. Let, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. And then uh, we'll head into this study. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love your presence. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you in song. And now we worship you in, in the study of your word. And as uh, Paul wrote here in 2 Thessalonians 1 11 through 12, to this end, we pray that you, our God, may make us worthy uh, of the calling that you have given us and may fulfill every one of these resolves for good in every work of faith by your power working in our lives so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in us and us in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful and holy name and everyone said amen. Amen. So let's take a look at this text. I'm gonna read completely through the text and then we'll work through the notes. And uh, we'll begin at verse 21, Luke chapter 2, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, this is uh, the baby Jesus, he was called Jesus, Uh, God is our salvation, that's what his name means, God is our salvation, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So, the parents, Joseph and Mary, are following the directives of the angel that spoke to them. Verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses. And you're going to see this over and over again. They're, they're obeying the law, the law of Moses. They're very obedient. That's significant to what we're going to talk about. They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Kind of similar to what we did here this morning with the baby dedication. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, which shows us that they were poor. They were not affluent. They were very poor by their offering. Now these... Now there was a man in Jerusalem. So now we move from Joseph and Mary now to Simeon. We're gonna look at his life here and he's gonna give validation to who this Jesus is. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout. So there's his credibility. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. What is that? Consolation of Israel. He understood the Old Testament prophets that proclaimed that there was gonna be a Messiah that was coming. So he knew that, he understood that, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So God, through the Holy Spirit, had told him, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the The child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. Now this is pretty profound what he says here. So he's got the baby Jesus in his arms. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother, Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him. They they knew in their heart, they had been told by the angel And yet he's validating what they had been told. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed... Look at verse 35, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. What is he talking about there? That's talking about the crucifixion. You're going to watch him die. She doesn't know that, but she's going to know it when it happens. It's going to pierce her heart. There's nothing worse than when a parent loses a child, and that's what she's going to go through. She's going to witness that. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts From many hearts may be revealed. And now we move from Simeon to Anna, a prophetess. So there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at the, that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Now, okay, so here we go. We've got five questions we're looking at so that we can refocus our lives, and I think this text helps us to do that. And uh, so here's the first question. If you really want to live a more focused life, a less distracted life, more focused life, what will be the center of my life? That's the first question. What will be the center of my life? And, uh, I believe that Joseph, Mary, Simeon, and Anna all teach us this. I want to focus particularly on verses 33 through 35, the words of Simeon and, and his father and mother, and that was after verse 30 where he says, "'For my eyes have seen your salvation,' looking at the baby Jesus." My eyes have seen your salvation. And he says, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for. Now, this is interesting. The fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, of course, makes reference to his death on the cross, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And then he says this, so that the thoughts from many uh, hearts will be revealed. I think what he's saying here is that your response to Jesus will cause you to either fall or rise and ultimately reveals your heart. So your response to this, if God is our salvation through Jesus Christ, then your response to him will either cause you to rise or fall and ultimately it reveals your heart is what he's saying here. And um, I think that's really important. We live in, a, in an interesting culture here today where it's, uh, it's expressive individualism, uh, follow your heart, be true to yourself, and, and it's, it's bizarre because we think that we can create our own purpose for living, that you can kind of decide why you're here. And you didn't, you didn't create yourself so you can't Tell yourself what you were created for. Does that make sense? Is that good logic? Did you create yourself? So then you can't tell yourself why you're you're here. You need to look to your creator, and the creator is the one that ultimately determines why we're here. And so this idea of asking yourself, what's going to be at the center of your life? You need to know this, that you were created by God for God to give glory to God, to have God at the center of your life. When you don't live your life centered on him, it's going to create a lot of problems. By the way, that's why this place is a mess that it's in, this world that we live in, is because we've chosen to live our lives based on what we want and what we've centered our lives on, and that creates this major chaos that we, uh, currently, that we currently live in. Uh, John 3:16 through 19, you guys are probably familiar with it, it kind of goes along with what what Simeon is saying to his parents here about the rise and fall, Jesus said this, and he was talking to to Nicodemus, and he said, uh, talked about being born again in that text, and he says, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Perishing would mean that you're falling, wouldn't it? But if you put your faith in him, you're gonna have everlasting life. That would be rising, But he goes on, it kind of gives explanation to that. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world, so that the world might be saved through him. So, So he didn't come with his son. His son didn't come. His first coming, so when you look at the, the, the narrative of the Bible, creation, fall, we rejected God, put something else at the center of our lives. Creation, fall, the rest of the Bible is about redemption, God restoring us back to us, centering our lives on him. So creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Redemption is his first coming. He came to redeem us, to restore us, to reconcile us. And, uh, and so with his first coming, he came to bear judgment, for you and I. His second coming, restoration, he will bring judgment. So, the first coming, if he bore your judgment and you put your faith in him, you're going to rise. But if you don't, when he comes for the second go around, you're going to fall. And that's, that's what the Bible teaches. In fact, it's interesting. So, The verses after that in in John chapter 3, so you got John chapter uh, 3, verses 16, 17. I quoted 16 and 17. And then 18 says uh, basically, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe in him is is condemned. You're going to be condemned. You're going to fall. But if you believe in him, you're going to rise. And then it goes on and says something quite fascinating in verse 19 of chapter 3 of John. It says, uh, here's the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men prefer darkness over light. So he's just saying, hey, you you got a choice. And you can either rise or or fall based on the choice that you make regards to to Christ. And here's what you need to know, that there is no refuge from him, only in him. There is no refuge from him, but only in him. Jesus makes an awful enemy, but an amazing friend. And one of these days, uh, so so his first coming, he came to to bear our judgment. His second coming, he will bring judgment. The rising and the falling. And by the way, that reveals your heart. Now, with each of these statements, as you ask the question, is he truly at the center of your life? Um, That's what it means to be a Christian. You place him at the center of your life. With each of these, we're going to go through the 5G process uh, of discipleship process here at Desert Breeze. And with each of these, I've I've given you a G. And so really it comes down to, is your life going to be self-centered? You're going to come up with your own purpose, which you can't do that. And it's just going to create problems in your life and it's going to create problems in the world or you're going to live a God-centered life. And so the G, the first G is a genuine Christian. A genuine Christian walks with God. That's your next fill in the blank. So a genuine Christian. This is a genuine Christian that their life is is centered on God. What will be the center of my life? It will be God. It will be this relationship with God. That's why I was created is to have God at the center of my life. Now, don't miss this next point that I'm going to make. You got to get this. The best part, the absolutely best part of the Christian life is discovering and enjoying the presence and the friendship of Jesus Christ. That's the best. If you miss that, you've missed the best part of the Christian life, this conscious awareness of his presence. We have his presence that when you put your faith in Jesus, boom, right then and there, He comes to live within you. You have a relationship with him and you're putting your faith in him because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. He bore your judgment on the cross and therefore you are brought into the family of God and you can't foul that up. You can't mess it up because it's not based on you. It's based on his work, not your work. it's, it's, It's finished and so you can enter into it by faith and continue to live in that reality and it's amazing. I love that. I love the fact that he's with me, never to leave me or forsake me. Nothing can ever separate me from his love. And, and none of us can mess that up, and so that's really learning to live that God-centered life. Now, a couple of things that you need to know is that if you love anything more than you love him, which we all tend to do that. We all struggle with that. So what that means is that I'm going to put something else at the center of my life other than him. We tend to all struggle with that. So if you love anything more than you love God, such as good things that become ultimate things in your life, you, can you name any, like like marriage, or like like your parenting, like your kids, like your job, like your physical fitness, like any number of things that we can turn those those good things into ultimate things, and we begin to love those things more than we love God. And, and, and let me let me just say this: that if you love anything more than God, you will you will crush it under the weight of your unrealistic expectations because you're going to try to get from it what you can't get from it that you can only ultimately get from God. And you're going to devastate your marriage, you're going to devastate your parenting, your kids, all of these things, because you're trying to get from them what you need to be getting from Him. And when you get it from Him, then you're going to be able to respond to them appropriately. You're going to be healthy, because He's going to be the love of your life. But if they're the love of your life, and somehow that becomes threatened, blocked, or lost, boy, your life is rocked royally. And then you're not going to be responding to them in an appropriate way. See, uh, those become, whether you want to admit it or not, everybody has something at the center of their life. That's just how God created us. So even atheists have something at the center of their life. Every every person on this planet has, has a Lord of their life. And any Lord other than Jesus Christ is terribly unforgiving and ultimately unfulfilling. It's unforgiving. For instance, if the Lord of your life is your job and you don't accomplish up to the level of what you th- thought you should accomplish to satisfy you, know, the, to satisfy you in some way, it's gonna be terribly unforgiving. It will beat the living daylights out of you the rest of your life. And even if you did accomplish to that level, it would be terribly unfulfilling because that's not meant to fill the hole in your soul that only Christ can fill. That's it. And so what will be at the center of your life? What will be at the center of your life? I hope that it's him. And and by the way, that's a daily battle of struggling to keep him at the center of our lives. Jesus is the only Lord that forgives you when you fail him and fulfills you when you get him. So as you pursue him and make him the passion, the priority, the pursuit of your life, so that's, that's the first thing. Here's the next question. What will be the character of my life? So if you're walking with him... A genuine Christian walks with God, so you're going to be more and more shaped by him. And I think that Joseph and Mary really help us to understand this. Verses 21 through 24, Jesus came from a family that sought to honor God through obedience. Five times in those four verses, 21 through 24, says they followed God's commands. They followed God's commands. So here's the question. Are you going to be more and more conformed to this world or be transformed by his word. Romans 12, 2 makes that clear. Matthew 7, 24 through 27 tells us that we can have an unshakable life if we listen, if we hear and obey God's word. You remember the two guys that built their houses? One built, their, uh, built his house on the sand, the other one built their house, his house on rock. And you you remember the difference between the two? It wasn't that they didn't hear. They both heard, but one heard and obeyed. The other one heard and didn't obey. And so what it's saying is, is that when the winds blow in our life, difficulties, hardship, if you want an unshakable life, it's in the hearing and the obeying. It's allowing your life to be shaped more and more by God's word. And so that's the question. What will be the character of my life? Will my life be more and more shaped by this world or by God's God's word? Is it gonna be character is it gonna be comfort or character? Those are the, that's the question. It's gonna be more about comfort or character. And Galatians 5, 22 through 23 talk about the character that we should have. So here's Here's what you should be looking for. This is a great resolve for 2017. Is my life being shaped more and more by God's word? And if it is, I will be experiencing more and more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life. Do you have more and more of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your life? If you're walking with God, you, you will. But if you're not you need to go back to your walk. You need to look at the, your walk and say, well, maybe there's something missing here in my, as I'm walking with him, as I'm abiding in him because the natural result of that will be more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me define for you character here real quick. Character is where my behavior is the product of choices based on values. So how I respond to the, the things of life Is a choice that I make based on my values. My values would be obviously God's word. Versus a person who lacks character, their behavior is the product of their feelings based on their circumstances. It's a wild roller coaster. Whatever their circumstances are, their feelings are going with it, and that's how they respond. They just respond with, with that. I think it's the difference between, and I've used this in the past. I just thought of it as I was thinking about this, and you, you, you know this. It's the difference between a thermostat versus a thermometer. Thermostat has, has character. It sets the atmosphere and the environment where a thermometer just kind of goes along with the circumstances, the, the atmosphere, just kind of rides the roller coaster. And, uh, and so a person of character is really, uh, they make their choices based on what's important regardless of their changing moods. Does that make sense? And the changing circumstances of their life. It's, it's an unbelievable anchor to their life. Uh, years ago, uh, we, had a, we owned a boat. My parents owned a boat. We had some friends that owned boats. And we would spend, uh, for some of our family vacations, we'd go to Roosevelt Lake. We'd go to a lot of the different lakes, Swarer Lake and Lake Pleasant and uh, Roosevelt Lake. We'd camp out there on the beach. And when our kids were small, we'd have tents. We'd camp out there. And we'd tell our kids they all learned how to swim. We'd say, okay, kids. Now, when you swim here in the lake, we'd set up these uh, points of reference, so to speak our boats on the outside, and then we'd say, hey, don't go out too far out to where this buoy is. There would be a buoy out there a little ways, because outside that buoy, there would be these boats that would be racing and skiing, and that was dangerous for kids, especially on tubes. Not a good idea. So we would tell the kids, okay, from time to time, as you're playing, look up, make sure you're within these parameters, these points of reference, so to speak. When we were all carrying on, having a good time on the beach, and we had someone from another camp come over to us and say, hey, um, we didn't know them, the, the people that came over, and they said, uh, hey, uh, who are those, uh, do those kids belong to you guys out there? Way out there beyond that buoy? As they, as they were drifting beyond that buoy, and we looked out there, and we go, oh! we all freaked out because they were drifting out beyond that buoy, and so we had to get someone on a jet ski, went out there, and brought them back. Now here's the deal, let me ask you this. Do you know, what are your points of reference as it relates to to your relationships? Like conflict resolution, good communication. The Bible gives us those points of reference so that you know that you're kind of drifting out into dangerous waters. Or how about your finances? How about your physical well-being? You need to have that. From time to time in the busyness of life, you need to look up and go, okay, wait, 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 wait. This marriage, this relationship, this parenting isn't going so well. We're kind of drifting out to a place to where it's, this is dangerous. We're fiddling with a 75-cent light bulb. We're going to probably crash this plane. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Absolutely absolutely you need to keep coming back to God's word in fact you need to saturate your life in God's word and those become the points of reference for your life that you look up from time to time and you go wait 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 wait. this is what makes for a healthy marriage relationship this is what makes for good healthy parenting this is what makes for good healthy person individual in the workforce and how I respond to the difficulties and the and the problems of life and that's that's all part of that is, is your life going to be more about comfort or character? So here's the next G. A growing Christian lives God's word. A growing Christian lives his word. And so to do that, you need to be uh, committed to the disciplines necessary for spiritual growth. And so look at your practices. Do you spend, some, do you spend regular time in God's word, memorizing, meditating on it, personal And then also in a small group, life change happens best in small groups, as we say here. Are you plugged into a small group? Do you come here regularly as we teach God's Word? You should be here more than you're not here, okay? Does that make sense? You should be here more than you're not here. If you're not here more than you're here, then you're probably drifting. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. You might be drifting. I don't know. You need to look at your life need to look at your life you need this is just opportunity to look at our lives and begin to develop some good healthier resolves and so here's the next question what will be the contribution of my life so if i'm if i'm walking with god if i'm a genuine christian who walks with god and i'm A growing Christian lives God's word. Here's the next question here. What will be the contribution of my life? What will be the center of my life? What will be the character of my life? What will be the contribution of my life? These kind of go in sequence. They build on each other. They're interrelated. And so I believe that Simeon is a great example of this. Verses 25 through 35. Look at Simeon. Simeon was a righteous and devout man. What does that mean? Righteous. He walked with God. He had a legitimate relationship with God. He was righteous. He was in right standing with God. He had put his faith in God. And what does it mean that he was devout? He lived God's word. He lived God's word. He interacted with God and obeyed God. And he was devout. He had had regular disciplines in his life that helped his life to be shaped more by God's word. So Simeon was righteous and devout, waiting for the promised Messiah why did he do that? Because he understood Old Testament prophecy that predicted the first coming. Creation, fall, redemption. We're waiting for the redemption of all mankind. That's what he was waiting for. Verse 28, this is what it says. When you look at Simeon, oh, I love it because he blessed God. There's almost this, and starting at verse 28, as you work all the way to verse 34, there's almost this savoring of God's greatness and goodness in the words that he's speaking. And it literally says, he blessed God. Have you ever been around someone that the way they pray and the way they talk about God, you, you say to yourself, man, I want to have a relationship like they have a relationship with God. I want the same kind of relationship. There's, those, there's just this savoring. And that's Simeon. He's just blessing God. He's blessing God. He walks with God. He's living God's word. Of course, of course, he's got this joy, this overflow of the presence of God in his life. And then out of that, it says in verse 34, Simeon blessed Joseph and Mary. He was blessed to be a blessing. And so are you and I. He blesses us to be a blessing. And and that's that's all part of it. Now, I, I shared with you last weekend I made this uh, accusation based on a quote too by Francis Chan uh, and it was, American churches are full of self-focused consumers rather than self-sacrificing servants. And it's an indictment that they are not walking with God or living his word. Because if you're walking with God and living his word, you're gonna wanna make a contribution to his work. There's no doubt about it. Uh, The gospel makes you others-directed because you already have your prize, you already have your treasure, you already have your satisfaction. When you're filled up with him, when you know him, when you're walking with him, when you understand his presence within your life, and you're drawing from him and spending time with him, you are blessed. And out of that overflow, you want to bless others. So is your life about getting or giving? That's the question. What will be the contribution of my life? Is it about getting or giving? And certainly you need to come and receive, and that's why you come here to, today is to, is to receive and to be filled up, but, but as you are filled up, you need to begin to give out of that, that fullness that you experience. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, most people think that I'm the minister here, but I'm not. I'm not a minister. I'm, you guys are the ministers. I'm the administer, okay? I, I'm here to equip you for the works of ministry. Let me give you the basis of that. It says in Ephesians 4, through 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, that's me, to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry. That's what you're supposed to do. You guys are ministers for the building up of the body of Christ. How do you do that with your time, your talents, and your, and your resources? And you guys do a phenomenal job with that. That as your life is, is blessed by God, you begin to look for ways that you can bless others through your local church family, Desert Breeze. The greatest entity on this planet for life change are local church families like Desert Breeze. And when you invest in your local church family to make it strong, then we have greater synergy and greater effectiveness in, in our society and in our community. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race. Speaking of us, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. How many are familiar with the, the statement, uh, priesthood of the believer? Priesthood of the believer. You guys familiar with that? We're all priests. We don't have to go through a priest. Jesus is the ultimate high priest, but, but going through him, we have access to the throne room of God. You know that. You don't have to go through a priest. It's called the priesthood of the believer. He calls us that in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here's the third G, a giving Christian contributes to his work. How? With your time, your talents, your treasure. Another way is by discovering and deploying your unique shape. And we we walk you through this in our Game of Life class. Shape is an acronym. The S means uh, spiritual gift. H is heart. A is ability. P is personality. And E are experiences, life experiences. And and so by discovering and, and deploying your unique shape and the greatest entity for life change on this planet, the Local church family. I mean, that's where the action is. Now, when I was on the fire department, I wanted to be right in the middle of the action. It sounds a little crazy, but I was a I was a young booter, and and then later on, I became a uh, firefighter paramedic. And I thought, man, I don't want to I don't want a station that's out where they sleep nights. Okay, I out on the outskirts of town, but I want it right in the middle of the action, right in downtown area, or some place where I'm going to get a lot of uh, codes where I have to resuscitate a lot of people, where I go to shootings and stabbings and and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. I want to be elbow deep in blood and guts. I wanted to be right in the middle of the action because I knew that if I'm going to be good at what I do, I got to be right there in the middle of it. And not only that, man, you talk about a rush of adrenaline. And not only that, we all uh, as firefighters like EMS calls, but man, we love fire calls. Good old house fire, nothing better. Yeah, baby. And if the crew that you're coming on to, re, uh, to relieve, they got a house fire in the middle of the night, you're envious. And so there's something about that, but I'll tell you what, that doesn't even compare to the being in the middle of the action of what we do right here week in and week out at Desert Breeze Community Church. If you wanna be in the middle of the action, it's, it's walking with God, living his word, contributing to his work. Get involved in ministry. We got plenty of opportunities for you to get involved. And to to begin to give of your time, your talents, your finances. And God will continue to bless you through that. Here's the next question. Is what will be the communication of my life? What will be the communication of my life? So we're asking these questions. These are great resolve for 2017. What will be the center of my life? What will be the character of my life? What will be the contribution of my life? What will be the communication of my life? Verses 36 through 38, Anna's life helps us with this. Anna was a widow who had known sorrow and had not grown bitter. She was 84 years old and had never ceased to hope, worship, and pray. She had gotten married. She had only been married for seven years and lost her husband. It's an amazing story. Life is hard, but because God is good, we can become beautiful rather than bitter. And you see that in her life. That's what she communicates to us. So is my life going to be about promoting me or sharing Christ? Here's your, your fourth G. A going Christian makes an impact in this world, and that's what she did. So here's, here's my question for you. Do people infer from your life, regardless of what you've gone through, whether you've battled cancer or whether you've gone through a divorce or whatever kind of hardship you are going through, do you believe that God, is, his grace is sufficient for you? Do you believe that it's more than enough? Absolutely. That in your weakness, God can show his strength and power? We see it here in Anna's life. And so do people infer from your life and what you say and what you do that Christ is more desirable and more satisfying than all that life can give or suffering and death can take away? That's what it means, that's what a going Christian is, is all about. First Thessalonians 1.8, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, in Archaea, but your faith in God has gone, gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Paul is talking about the church there in Thessalonica and just saying, oh my goodness, people can see that you love God. No matter what you've gone through, you put on display the beauty and the glory of Christ, and even more so through, through your difficulties. Acts 1.8 says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, my martyrs, literally is what he means by that. Here's the yeah, fifth question, fifth question. What will be the cause of my life? What will be the cause of my life? In... Uh, And here's the ultimate cause. The ultimate cause, the best cause to give your life for is Jesus. Would you guys agree with that? Oh, absolutely. We care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering here at Desert Breeze. We care about all suffering, but especially eternal suffering. Jesus is the remedy. Listen to what Simeon says here in verses 29 through 32 because he's he's showing us something. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So what he's saying here is to see Jesus is to see God's salvation. Now, Now it's one thing to see Jesus with your physical eyes, we're talking about seeing Jesus with your spiritual eyes. And I know that many of you have seen Jesus with your spiritual eyes because you're not the same. And that when you begin to see him with your spiritual eyes you can no longer live life the same, it's gonna transform your life, and he's basically saying, to see Jesus is to see God's salvation, to see see Jesus is to see God's light and revelation, to see Jesus is to see God's glory, to see Jesus is to be at peace, to be at peace with God and to be at peace with yourself as you deal with the issues of life. So is life gonna be about me, or is it gonna be all about Jesus? Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ, to die as gain is what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So here's the fifth G of our 5G process of discipleship here at Desert Breeze. A glorifying Christian gives all of life for God's glory, lives all of life for God's glory. Now this is what I discovered a number of years ago is that it was a fascinating discovery, but uh, the, the life that Jesus came to give to us, and that's uh, really uh, the key verse here at Desert Breeze, John 10, 10, the second part of that, the thief comes to kill, steal and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. That fullness of life, the best life beyond your wildest dreams can only be found through full devotion to Christ. They're one in the same pursuit. Is full devotion to Christ, fullness of life, are one in the same pursuit. Fullness of life and full devotion to Christ. His glory and your joy are one and the same. Now, let me talk to you just very briefly here about the game of life. How many have gone through the game of life class? Yeah. A lot of folks here. If you've not gone through the game of life, that would be your next step here. We, we have a limited number of this go around, but make sure you sign up for that class. I'm gonna take you through that, that 5G process in more detail. It's a seven. It's an eight-week class, two hours Tuesday nights. There is childcare. Make sure you sign up. I have the privilege of teaching that class. It's, it's one of the, my favorite classes to teach. We will take you through the 5G process here, uh, through the game of life. But let's begin to now. We're gonna take communion this morning and i want us to pre- prepare hearts for communion i want us to reflect on what we've just talked about here it tells us in matthew 7:21 not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven how many are familiar with that verse those are frightening words these are some of the most frightening words in the bible i'm haunted by the thought that there would be people sitting here at Desert Breeze week in and week out and when you take your last breath on earth and first breath and you come face to face with your maker, the creator, Jesus, that he would say to you, I don't know you. That's what he's talking about there. You see, knowing him is more than uh, saying some magic prayer. Some prayer that you pray. Do I pray that prayer like, years ago, or signing a card, walking the aisle, or getting dunked in the tank, all of those can be really important. It's not a ritual, listen to me, it is a relationship. Whether you can determine when you made that choice or not, it doesn't matter, what matters is about now. Do you know him? Are you asking these hard questions? What will be the center of my life? What will be the character of my life? What will be the contribution of my life? What will be the communication of my life? What will be the ultimate cause of my life? Those are, the, those are the important questions of your life. And if our lives do not reflect the fruit of following Jesus, then we are foolish to think that we are actually followers of Jesus in the first place. Let me read to you a quote from David Platt. It's from his book, um, Follow me, a call to die, a call to live. Four fishermen stood by a sea in the first century. When Jesus approached them, follow me, he said, and I will make you fishers of men. This is found in Matthew uh, chapter 4. This is the first four of the 12 of the disciples. With that, Jesus beckoned these men to leave behind their professions, possessions, Dreams, ambitions, family, friends, safety, and security. He bid them to abandon everything. If anyone is going to follow me, he must deny himself. Jesus would say repeatedly. In a world where everything revolves around self, protect self, promote self, preserve self, yourself, entertain yourself, comfort yourself, take care of yourself, Jesus said, slay yourself. And that's exactly what happened. According to scripture and tradition, these four fishermen paid a steep price for following Jesus. Peter was crucified upside down, Andrew was crucified in Greece, James was beheaded, and John was exiled. Yet they believed it was worth the cost. In Jesus, these men found someone worth losing everything for. In Christ, they encountered a love that surpassed comprehension, a satisfaction that superseded circumstances, and a purpose that transcended every other possible pursuit in this world. They eagerly, willingly, and gladly lost their lives in order to know, follow, and proclaim him. In the footsteps of Jesus, these first disciples discovered a path worth giving their lives to tread 2,000 years later, I wonder how far we have wandered from this path. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's begin to prepare our hearts for communion here this morning. Father God, to be a Christian is to be loved by you, pursued by you, and found by you. To be a Christian is to realize that in our sin, we are separated from your presence and deserve nothing but your wrath. Yet, despite our darkness and in our deadness, Your light has shone on us, and your voice spoke to us, inviting us to follow you. Your majesty has captivated our soul, and your mercy has covered our sin. And by the death of your son, you have brought us to life. May we center our lives on you, shaped by your word, contributing to your work, through desert breeze, communicating to those within our sphere of influence, loud and clear with our lips and our lives, that you are worthy of full devotion and supreme adoration. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.